Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good to see you all this morning. My name is Vince. I am uh, one of the elders here with a teaching pastor. If we haven't met, I would love to meet you. So after our time together, I'll be up here, um, and I would love to meet you. I do want to give you um, one announcement, for, especially for kids. So if you kids, you're probably wondering, hey, it's the last Sunday of the month. Five to eight-year-olds, we usually get to go and, and do our thing. Um, Sit still, all right, just take a deep breath. That is going to happen next week, but here's the good news. Um, we're going to start doing that twice a month. So starting next week, we'll be doing that twice a month. So we'll dismiss you next week. We'll do, um, you'll be working through Exodus as well, just like we are. So that'll happen next week um, and then twice a month from there on out, the first and third, okay? If you have your Bible, uh, a Bible near you, go ahead and grab it and turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there near you. Go ahead and grab that. Exodus is what we are beginning this morning. And if you uh, brought a Bible with you, uh, a nice little Bible that has one of these in there, go ahead and uh, put that right there in Exodus because we are going to be in Exodus for 10 months. Right? I don't know how you do that on your phone. So if you're using an app, uh, yeah, ribbon won't, won't help you. But um, there you go. So Exodus um, is what we're looking at. This is how we do things as a church. So we um, look at the Word of God as um, the authoritative Word of God. We see it as authoritative for, for our lives, and so we work through it um, in, in a way that helps us see more of God, helps us see our, our need for God, helps us um, look at God for who He is. It's not a dead book. We don't see the Bible as a dead book. It, it's not dated. It has um, impact on our lives today. And so the way we work through, um, through these things together as a church as we take a book of the Bible and we work through it chapter at a time, chapter after chapter. We believe that the Bible is God's word to us. In fact, uh, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that we are able to be made wise for salvation through the word of God. And, and, and Paul says in Romans that through the endurance and the encouragement of, of the scripture, of the Bible, we find hope. And so we see that, we believe that, we, we believe that that's what the Word of God is. It's a, it's a discipline together that we get to go through a book of the Bible together. So if you're new with us, this is what we do. Take a book of the Bible, we work through it. If you're um, new into town and you're looking for a church, we would love to invite you to stay and, and join with us through this study. Be, be a part of this study, learning about the book of Exodus with us. We'll be in it for about... 10 months. So if that scares you, um, I just want to be honest. If it's a delight to you, then, then there it is. All right. Um, if you have a ribbon, go ahead and put it there. If you're like me and, um, you, uh, um, here, here's how I find books that we're preaching through. My, I find mine by the wrinkled pages from the spit, um, from my preaching. So 
You can use your ribbon. I'll just find my spit. All right, so that's how we'll go there. Now, related, let me give you a couple of bits of information about where we're headed um, and, and some tools that we have put in place for you as an individual, as families, um, for us as a, a church that help us, are going to be helping us work through the book. If you are a note taker, there are notebooks right by the front door as you walked in. You can take one of those um, and, and take notes along with us um, as we go. If you, um, oh, right beside those notes, by the way, too, is a list of uh, the schedule of how we're going to be working through the book. All right, so you can be reading along ahead of time with us and, and getting some insight into the book in that way. Okay. Um, in addition to that, there are clipboards. Parents, there are clipboards right outside this door for young kids. And then for the older kids, um, there are student notebooks out there as well that we'll be walking through Exodus as well. So we want to be moving through the book of Exodus together as a family. So this isn't just for adults, or it's not just for um, certain groups of people. This is for us together as a family. And I would say this to you as parents. Give your kids some credit. They are hearing things. They're listening to, to what is going on as we work through these things together. So work through this together as a family, okay? In addition to that, we're doing something that we have not done before, and that is that each week on Sunday afternoon, we will send out a message to anyone who's on our mailing list um, that has questions for reflection or application for the week that, that we've just worked through. So um, we're, today we're looking at the first seven verses and we're working through some background stuff. You'll get questions later this afternoon if you're on our mailing list, um, questions that, that will help you apply what we're learning together. If you're not on our mailing list, Head to the information table, uh, give us your email address, and we'll get you on there if you want it. If you want to unsubscribe from that at any point, you can. We do get notification of that, and we'll just see you as someone who doesn't like the Bible. No, not really. Um, uh, but but uh, you can do that there. All right. Now, as, as we've done with every other book, as we've worked through every other book, we take some time that very first week to go through some background um, information about the book. So this is going to be a little bit different than what we do most weeks. So settle in. Um, it's going to be a lot of information about the book of Exodus as we move forward, but it's going to be helpful in the weeks to come, I promise you. I promise. So, so stay engaged. Stay with us. We're going to look at the title, the author, genre, the structure of the book, the con context, and we're going to look at some primary themes that we're going to see over and over and over and over in the book. Here's what we see in Exodus. Just generally speaking, Exodus is God's story of redemption. It's God's story of redemption, and, and we're going to see the, the beauty of that as we move forward. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to read the first seven verses of the book at, to give us some context for where we're headed, give us some background for where we're going, and, and I'm going to ask you if you're able this morning to stand with us as we read from Exodus chapter 1. I'll read it. I'll read it this morning. You can just listen. You can take it in. Seven verses. It's here on the screen. You can also look at it in your Bibles. Here's what Exodus 1 says. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled 
with them. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. That is the word of God. 40 chapters that we're going to be working through, it is the word of God to us. And so we get to do that. Now listen, that's an introduction, isn't it, to a book? That is a fantastic introduction into a book that leaves us longing for answers to some of these questions, right? We, we wonder, well, why is this large family going to Egypt? And, and why is their brother Joseph already there? Is he on some foreign exchange program? Are they going to visit him on holiday? Why are they going into Egypt? It's a good thing this extended family has, has continued to grow. The people of Israel were fruitful. They multiplied. They're continuing to grow. Egypt was filled with the people of Israel. That's great. But what happens next? What do we have next? The author seems to be setting us up for something great. So what's going to happen, right? It leaves us longing to know what is going to happen. That's where we're going to leave it, though, for right now, right? That's my hook to get you to come back, right? Um, I'm sure that many of you know the story of Exodus, and even if you don't, you probably know some of the smaller stories in the book, even though you may not know, have known that they came from the book of Exodus. You've probably heard of the plagues, right? Those are great uh, children's kinds of stories. You hear the frogs and the, 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 the gnats and the flies and so on. You've probably heard the story of the burning bush, how God spoke to Moses in the from the burning bush and how the people then crossed the Red Sea on dry ground as the water was separated. You, you probably know some of these things. You probably know about Moses being a leader, right? He was the, the leader of all of these people, or at least you know of Charlton Heston, right? Or maybe for the younger generation, which is a lot of you, you know of Christian Bale, right? Which was even worse than the Charlton Heston one, if that's even possible. But those seven verses that we just read through set up the story of, uh, of the events that, that we will be looking at over the next several months. The seven verses that we just read are going to be pointing us toward what we are about to look at. A main element of the story uh, of this book that we are about to dive into is the meaning behind the title. Or the, the title actually gives away what the, the first part of this book is about. It comes from a Greek word that means to go out or, or departure, which if you know anything uh, about the book, you know that the first half of the book is exactly about that, this, this people being freed from slavery. There's this mass exiting or a mass exodus, a, a mass departure, a moving out of Egypt. Now that may sound elementary, but titles matter. They, they absolutely matter as we're reading. Every time we hear the name Exodus, as we're talking, as we, we look at, at this book, every time we hear the name Exodus, we're reminded that the people exited Egypt. They exited, right? They exited Egypt, and we'll get to this. They, they exited not on their own power, but on the power of God. And so the title we've chosen for us as a church for this series, working through the book, is this, Saved. That's the title, Saved, God's Story of Redemption. And here's why. The people have been saved from a life of slavery. They've been saved from a life of slavery from an evil king, the Pharaoh. They've been saved from a, a life devoted to a king and his evil ways. They've been saved from that. But, but listen, if you've been saved from something, you've also been saved to something, right? 
So think about this. This is maybe a bad example. It didn't go over well in the first service. But let's say you're, you're swimming in an ocean, right? And you can't see land and you're going down. That terrifies me. It's one of my biggest fears, by the way, right? Drowning, I don't know why, getting eaten by giant jellyfish or something. But so you're going down and you're, you're, you're drowning. You're sucking in water, right? You're breathing in water. If you are saved from that, you are saved from sucking in water to a life of sucking in air. So you're saved from something to something. Bad example, but I got your attention, right? So that's what we see in the book. The people are saved from the evil hand of an evil king, saved to something else. That's why we're saying that this book is about God's story of redeeming a people, freeing them from slavery, saving them to himself. And in the process, we get to catch glimpses of our own lives pointing to our need for redemption, pointing to our need, right? I could, I could preach the entire book right now, but I won't. So who wrote the book? Who's the author? This is important. When we're reading a book, we've got to know the author so that we can kind of get some of the background. So let, let's back up a bit and not just jump to that, but let's, let's go there and see how Exodus fits into the collection of the first five books of, of the Bible, often called the Pentateuch or often called the Torah. This collection is made up of the first five books of our Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Historically, those books ha- have been the primary books, the primary writings for the people of God. This is what they're looking to, to, to see more of God. These books have often been called the law, right? This is the law for the people. And historically, they have all been attributed to the hand and authorship of Moses. And, and while the book of Exodus does not say explicitly that Moses is the author, and by the way, not many Old Testament books do point out who the author is. While it doesn't say who the author is, history and tradition and evidence that we see in the New Testament point to Moses being the author. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, we see Jesus quoting from the Ten Commandments about honoring your father and mother, and he says what? For Moses said... Right, so what, what is Jesus doing? He, he's pointing to someone who, who wrote this down or who said this. History and tradition have passed down, have been passed down for years and years and years, attributing the authorship to Moses. Now that's not to say that that has not come with little debate. There's absolutely been a lot of debate about who the author is. There are books written about it. We won't get into it. But many people would say that Moses could not have possibly written at least all of these books. And, and, and so others had to be, have a hand in it to, to be a part of writing this. They, they had to be a part of this. And here's what they lean on often. They lean on Deuteronomy chapter 34, where the death of Moses is described. It'll come to you, right? So how's a guy going to write about his own death? That's the point that they're trying to make. How, how is that going to happen? That's a good point. Very good. You, you did well. Um, it's probably true that Moses is the one who compiled all of the information and, and put together all of the details that, that have been given to us, but it's also quite possible that other people stepped in to fill in gaps to make more sense for future generations. So that as they're reading along, they know where details have been inserted so that we can understand what is happening. But for us, as we work through this book, we'll land in a place together where we will see with other scholars and historians that Moses is the author. 
that Moses has been the one who recorded and composed these first five books of which Exodus is included. So um, we'll see some evidence along the way um, as we read and study where, where God himself instructs Moses. And he says, hey, hey, Moses, write these things down. Write these things down, and, and I'm going to have you pass those on to the people. So there's evidence throughout the way we're going to see that. Okay, So title, Exodus, author, Moses. Now, what's the genre? Okay. What, what is the genre? How is, what kind of writing do we have in these 40 chapters? Is it poetry? Is it prophecy? Is it a letter? Is it a teen coming of age vampire novel? What do we have here? Seriously? Thank you, Josh. In the first service, there were a couple of laughs. Just seeing if you're awake. Josh is awake. Josh, this is me and you, buddy. Um, so here's what we have. Um, here's what we have. We have uh, what most people say is a historical narrative. Right, so it's a historical narrative. We have in the book of Exodus a collection of events, um, retold speeches and instructions given to the people of God, all of that compiled to retell the, the events surrounding the captivity of sl- and slavery of the people, and then the subsequent um, release uh, or the exodus of the people. And so the, the, the book begins historically with the, the birth of Moses in Egypt. So we, we just read the first seven verses that give us an intro, but it begins then with the birth of Moses, and then it ends with the tabernacle, the tabernacle being finished, where Moses can't enter um, the tabernacle just outside of Egypt. So the book um, really is a historical narrative, giving us some history, but also giving us the story that keeps us captivated. Just like stories do, there's tension there. there there's tension in the writing. We want to follow the story, and, and we want to know what's going to happen next. It's a historical narrative drawing us in to see more. And as we look at the narrative, we see a little bit of structure, not a lot. There's a little bit of structure. And that is this, the first 18 chapters, chapters 1 through 18, make up the first section of the book, and that is about the, the people's captivity. That They are held captive under an evil king, the, the Pharaoh. Chapters 19 through 40 detail and describe the covenant given by God and the instructions of how the people are then to worship God and move toward obedience to that God. So we've got this division, 1 through 18, 19 through 40. And when we get into the context and the background around the book, that's where these seven verses come into play that we just read. We can begin to answer some of the questions that are left hanging out there. Who are the people? Why are they in Egypt? Why was one of the brothers already there? Who is this growing group of people, this flourishing people in Israel? And we've got to understand the context and the background for the book, or we simply just jump into an unknown story and try to piece things together. So let me try to do this quickly. The book of Exodus picks up where the story of Genesis ended. You see, in the book of Genesis, there was a faithful man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham was given a promise from God in Genesis 12 that from him would come a great group of people. In his family line would be a great group of people. In fact, God said in Genesis chapter 12, he he says, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And God keeps that promise. It's a a long and twisted story from there, but a good one showing the faithfulness of God throughout the entire book. In fact, we get to Genesis 15 and, and we see another promise from God. This promise not as favorable. Not as favorable, but a promise nonetheless. And this is what we read in Genesis 15. I don't know if you guys have caught this before, 
But God predicts, God, God foretells what is going to happen. He promises what is going to happen. Genesis 15, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now do you see what's being promised? What's being promised is is this. Yes, Abraham, you will have a great nation. God will cause many people to come from your family line, becoming a great nation. But you, 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 you will also be thrown out of your land with your people and you'll be enslaved and afflicted for 400 years. Your people will be. A little foreshadowing, but you see where this is going. And so Abraham has a son by the name of Isaac, and Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and Jacob is, is the one mentioned in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. So it's all coming together, right? There it is. It all just came together. Uh, Jacob has 12 sons. All of those sons are listed in verses 2 through 4. Joseph is one of those that's mentioned, and Joseph, being in many ways, he's the favored son of Jacob. So he is the one that, that has favor. This is going somewhere, so hang with this. The great nation that was promised is happening through the offspring of Abraham. God keeps his promises. You can read about this from Genesis 30 on where this story gets really twisted. But here's what happens. In anger and in jealousy, in envy, in envy, Joseph's brothers, because he's the favored one, they bully him, they leave him for dead, they end up selling him to some Midianite traders. And the brothers then go back to dad and they tell dad that Joseph has been killed by some wild animals. They leave him for dead. He's been killed and they tell dad that he, he's, he's dead. Well, when that is happening, the Midianite traders sell Joseph to the Egyptian king's governor or guard by the name of Potiphar, the pharaoh. They sell Joseph to Pharaoh, the, the, the guard of Pharaoh. So Joseph is where? Where is he now? Come on. Egypt, thank you. He's in Egypt, but he is becoming, in the process of that, he's becoming well-respected by the officials. So he's, he's growing in stature among the officials. He's climbing in the ranks of Pharaoh's court. He's becoming really important, climbing the ranks in respect so much that when a famine strikes the land, Joseph is the one who oversees the storehouses of grain that Egypt has stockpiled. Well, fast forward several years, and we find that Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to buy grain for the family, and through a series of events, Joseph realizes that these men are his brothers, and in deep love and forgiveness of what his brothers have done to him, Joseph, now being a leader and an official who's well-respected in in Egypt, invites his brothers and his family to come into Egypt, and the king, the the pharaoh, has so much favor for Joseph that he welcomes in with grace great favor all of Joseph's family and he takes care of them through the famine God's sovereignty all over that there's much more in in the story than that but that's the context and the background for what we see in the opening verses of the book of Exodus we're told in verse 5 if you look there chapter 1 verse 5 that all of the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons so 70 people were, were there Joseph was already in Egypt. This was the great nation growing, growing from 70 people sojourning in a country not their own. These are God's promises being kept. 
over and over and over, right? We, we see them here. These are God's promises being kept. The, the book of Exodus tells us the history of the people of God living in the promises of God, living in a slavery, living through redemption, living through freedom, living through, through freedom from slavery, being saved by God from captivity. This is God's story of redemption. And throughout this story, we see some repeated themes. Now, this is where, if you're a note taker, you can begin to take some notes because I want us to be looking back at these themes over the weeks to come. Some repeated themes. I'll give you nine of them. I read a book this, this past week that, that really helped with a lot of these themes. And so I'm picking up some, from some other authors here. Themes that are going to reveal to us our need for being saved. Our need for being saved. Our need for being delivered. Themes that will connect us today in 2017 to the people in the book of Exodus. So let me quickly point out nine. If you're a note taker, go crazy. Here's what number one is. Exodus reminds us that only God is all-powerful. We'll see proof after proof after proof of this in the book. We'll see the Egyptians' polytheistic worldview crushed. They're polytheistic. They're, they're many gods. That, that worldview is crushed because God is more powerful. We, we see this especially in the plagues as each of the plagues represents a, a different God that, that they worship, and, and God is more powerful, all-powerful, than, than those gods. We, we see this even as the people move out into freedom. They wander in the wilderness for a, a number of years, and they erect a golden statue just like the people in Egypt would do, but God is more powerful. The only one who is all-powerful. So Exodus will remind us that God is all-powerful. Number two, Exodus reminds us that we can truly know God. Throughout the book, we'll see God approaching people. He approaches Moses on a number of occasions, and almost every time they interact, God reminds Moses that he's God. Don't we need that reminder? God reminds, reminds Moses that he is God. A, a repeated line from God throughout the book is this, I am the Lord. In, in fact, he, he says, Moses, when you go to Pharaoh and state your case, you go to him and you tell him, I am has sent you. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And, and implicit in that is this, that we can know God. He, he's revealing that. I am the Lord. He's revealing himself in explicit ways to Moses and to the people. Exodus reminds us that we can truly know God. Number three, Exodus reminds us that visible symbols represent an invisible God. Let me, let me try to unpack that for us, okay? Exodus reminds us that visible symbols represent an invisible God. We, we see this all over the place. God is invisible. He, he's not seen, yet we, we can see that he exists by a visible reality. In, in the book of Exodus, there are symbols, there are signs all over the place. He appears to Moses in a burning bush, right? He, he appears to um, the people in a pillar of, of cloud. He, he leads them as a representation of God. The pillar of fire is a representation of God. And by the way, fire is everywhere in this book. 
So that's why that's part of the graphic that we have up here is, is fire. It's all over. Be watching for that. The pillar of fire is a representation of God. The Ark of the Covenant, which we'll see later, is a representation of the presence of God. The tabernacle is a representation of the presence of God. These are visible symbols that represent an invisible God. Now, here's the interesting thing, I, I think, as we think about this. Most other religions, not least of which is the, the religion of the e- Egyptians, are full of symbols and idols. They are full of symbols and idols. And it's interesting that God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to reveal himself in visible symbols like that. That that he chose to step into that place. However, here's the difference we've got to keep in mind. That, That God never says, and he never indicates, that he is a cloud. And he never says that he is a bush. And he never says that he is a box like the Ark of the Covenant. These are simply symbols that represent him. Why? Why is it that he chose to represent himself? Here's why. So that we could have a relationship with him. The cloud was leading the people, ultimately leading the people out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's slavery into freedom. Freedom to worship God. Inside the tabernacle was the ark, and inside the ark were the tablets of stone, and on those tablets of stone were the very words of God written. Why? So that the people could know Him. So Exodus reminds us that visible symbols, while they are not God, they represent an invisible God who is all-powerful and is able to be known. Number four, Exodus reminds us that we must follow God. All over the book uh, of Exodus, we're reminded that God is the one to be followed. He he leads Moses from a burning bush to go to Pharaoh. So God's the one who's leading Moses. And then over and over and over again, he directs Moses to go back. He leads the people out of Egypt through Moses as a leader. And what do we see of Moses? He's a bad leader. He's a broken leader, which, which then begs for a better leader, right? And, and that better leader is God. He leads a people by a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. The, the book of Exodus is a book of travel, and to travel you need a leader. Over and over and over in the book, Exodus reminds us that we must follow God. Five, Exodus remi- reminds us that we need God's law. One of the most memorable aspects of the book of Exodus is the giving of the law, the, the, the giving of the Ten Commandments that, that, that are explained in detail then in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? There's a good weekend for you. Read those, right? God has a desire for his people to know him and part of his, uh, part of their knowing him is living under his ways and in obedience to him. He's given us the law to protect us. He's given us the law so that we, we would flourish. There are benefits in keeping God's commands. But he's also given us the law, hear this, he's also given us the law to reveal to us sin and our tendencies toward it. But even in that, he's given that to us so that we would flourish in a life of following him. We are in desperate need of God's law. And so the point here is this, that Exodus reminds us that we need God's law. We're going to see reminders of that. Number six, Exodus reminds us that God has a people. Right? The book begins with a promised people. The first 18 chapters are about this people being freed from enslavement to another people. Right? These are God's people. He is leading them out of Egypt as a people. In fact, every time, over and over and over, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, let 
my people go. Let my people go. Exodus is going to remind us that God has a people. Number seven, Exodus is going to remind us that God's people have a place. They have a place. Yes, they're being held captive in Egypt, but, and that was promised to them by God, but that is not their place. We feel that tension. That's not their place. God has promised them a land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a good land. He's promised that to them, a good land where they are to flourish together. God commands Moses from the very beginning to go to Pharaoh and tell them to let God's people go. Why? So that they could go to their own land, a promised land, in order to worship God. So the entire book of Exodus is the story of that journey of being redeemed and led to the land that was promised. Exodus reminds us over and over and over again that God's people have a place. Eight. God reminds us that our access, or Exodus reminds us that our access to God is limited. Exodus reminds us that our access to God is limited. We see this throughout. Even through, uh, through, though God has a people and God has a place for those people and this all-powerful God can be known, Exodus reminds us over and over and over again that our access to God is limited. Moses was the representative of the people. The people didn't have access, right? They could access God, but only through Moses. In fact, when Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God, which we'll see several weeks from now, God commanded that a boundary be put around the mountain so that they couldn't even come close to the mountain, right? The people had access to worship God, but the priest was the only one allowed into the tabernacle for them. And so there are reminders throughout. Exodus is going to remind us that our access to God is limited. And then number nine, finally, Exodus reminds us that God alone offers salvation. The people were held captive in Egypt and they needed someone to break the bonds of that slavery. I think often when we think about the people being enslaved in Egypt, we think that their greatest need is to be freed from that bondage in Egypt. Is anybody with me? That we think that their greatest need is that, oh, one day they won't be held captive in Egypt. But again, that isn't a full picture of the freedom that God is offering them. That's not a full picture of the redemption or salvation that God is offering. Being released from bondage is only half the picture. And so Moses was the one who led the people out, but he was leading them as a representative of whom? God. God alone is the one who offers salvation. It is God who saves, redeems, rescues, and delivers. And he always saves to himself. The the people were enslaved as servants of Pharaoh. Hear this well, because we're going to see this in the first 18 chapters. The, The people were enslaved as servants of Pharaoh, and the very reason for their release was so that they could be servants of God. They weren't released from slavery entirely. They were still enslaved to God to serve Him and worship Him joyfully. Exodus reminds us that God alone offers that salvation. Now, those are the themes that I think are going to be woven throughout our 40 chapters, our our 10 months in the book of Exodus, over and over and over. I want you to see them. I want you to see them. As we read through these uh, chapters over the next several months, I want you to get to a place in your reading where you're able to begin pointing out some of those themes. Here it is. 
Here's that theme. I want you to see them and realize that they're there. There there may be other themes as well, but those nine seem to be prevalent. But can I caution us in this? Let Let me put a caution out there. If we look for those themes and we say, yeah, there's that theme. I see how that happened back then in the book of Exodus. I think we've gone astray. If we look for these themes and only see it happening to the people then, I I think that that is gone astray. And so what I want to do is caution us and then plead with us to not only look for these themes in Exodus with the people in Exodus in mind. It is because of Jesus now. It is because of Jesus that we have answers and resolutions to all of these themes. Look at him. It is because of Jesus that we have answers and resolutions to all of these themes. First, Exodus reminds us that God, only God is all-powerful. And we have seen that displayed in the power of the cross, haven't we? Where sin and death were defeated forever. The, the thing that enslaves all of us it has been defeated forever because of Jesus. We're not simply reminded of the fact that God is all-powerful and that's out there. We, we experience the reality that God is all-powerful, powerful over sin and death forever. Exodus reminds us that we can truly know God and because of Jesus, we can truly and personally know God. When Jesus died, the curtain was torn. The the, the curtain in the tabernacle was torn. The curtain in the temple, the barrier between us and God was removed, providing us access into relationship with God. It is because of of Jesus that we can truly know God. Exodus reminds us that, that visible symbols represent an invisible God. Paul tells us in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So we can know God in part because Jesus came and lived among us visibly. Exodus reminds us that we must follow God. We've been given access to God through Jesus. Jesus calls us to follow Him, but we don't. He doesn't just say, follow me. He gives us ways that we can do that, and He shows us an example of what that looks like. Exodus reminds us that we need God's law. We absolutely need God's law. I said this earlier, but, but God's law points to our sin, which ultimately points to our need for someone to take care of that sin, right? We're prepped for that. Yes, the law is pointing to our sin, but it also points to our need for someone to take care of that sin. We need God's law to show us our sin and our need for a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. Some of us, here's what some of us want. Some of us want relationship with Jesus without recognition of God's commands or obedience to them. We want relationship with Jesus without obedience to God's laws or, 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 and, and obedience to those laws. We need God's law, but here's what we rest in. We rest in the fact that this law has been kept perfectly by Jesus. Exodus reminds us that God as a people, when Jesus came as a perfect sacrifice and Savior, He came not as a Savior to a certain class, a certain race of people. He came as a, as a Savior to a people who've been called by God to be His very own. Yes, God has a people, a diverse group of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, a people purchased by the blood of God's own Son, Jesus. Exodus reminds us that God's people have a place. As God's people who have been saved by God's Son, we have been promised a place, but not an earthly place, uh, but a home. 
a kingdom with a king. Jesus is our king, preparing a place for us, a place for us to call home. And on the day that Jesus returns, he will restore all things, making all things new, making a place for us to call home. And our home will be where he is. Exodus reminds us that our access to God is limited. It's true, even still. Our access to God is limited. We can know God because of Jesus, and and that has been opened up to us. But even that knowing God, it is shadowed by our own sin. It's hindered by our own sin. Our access to God is limited by our own sin. But because of Jesus, that open, unlimited access is coming. And one day when Jesus returns to make all things new, we will see him and know him and be like him because we see him and know him as he is. Exodus reminds us that God alone offers salvation, that the people were freed from slavery. They were saved from slavery. Ultimately, they were saved from sin through the purification and the mediation of Moses and Aaron. But all of that points to the fact that that it is God alone who offers and applies salvation. And so Exodus reminds us, and it hints at something better over and over and over, hinting at something better, that Jesus is the one who brings us salvation, that he is the perfect mediator. It is through Jesus alone that we are saved. It is through his blood alone that we are redeemed, delivered from the captivity of sin. Now, on the surface, the, the book of Exodus is going to leave us constantly longing for something more. Do you hear that? The book of Exodus, on the surface, as we read through and study the book of Exodus, it is going to be constantly leaving us longing for something more, something better. And I would say to you, that is right. We should be reading through the book of Exodus with this longing to know something better, and there is something better. The book of Exodus is God's story of redemption, not through Moses, but redemption from slavery uh, to, to Pharaoh. It is God's story of redemption offered to us. It is the grace of God that saves through faith, and this is not your own doing, my own doing. It is the gift of God. So that's what we are going to see over the next several weeks in the book of Exodus, over and over and over. The fact that God saves and that he has written a story of redemption for each one of us. So let me put a a few questions in front of us and then we'll close. As we think about this in the next weeks to come, I, I want us to begin preparing even now for what God may be doing in us and through us. What ways that he may be wanting to grow us up. And so let me put these things in front of you, and maybe you can be thinking about these things throughout the week. How do you most need to be reminded today about who God is and what he offers? Think about that. How do you most need to be reminded today about who God is and and what he offers? How, How do you most need to be reminded today about your own limitations and your own needs Maybe that's an area that you need to be reminded. God God needs to be doing some work on you in that. And then thirdly, finally, how do you most need to see more of your great and powerful God offering salvation through His Son? That may seem elementary. but How do you need to see more of your great and powerful God offering salvation through His Son? 
we're about to take a walk through a, a, an interesting, exciting book that's pointing to our desperate need of a Savior. And that's Jesus. Let's pray. God, we know your word is true. And I pray that we would come to it with the, the kind of weight that it deserves. You have spoken to us your truth. You've given us your word, some very interesting books, some, some history of your people. But it's not dead history. It's not history that used to be and now we don't need to worry about it anymore. It's history that points us to our need for you. Even today, hundreds of years later, this points to our ongoing need of someone to save us. Someone to step in and redeem us. God, you're writing a story of redemption for each of us. And I pray that we'd be open and receptive to that. In these coming weeks, God, I pray for the people in this space today that they would have a sense of their need, that some of these questions would be piercing and that they would consider some of these things over the next weeks and months. I pray that, that we would continue to, to be here together on Sundays, learning from your word, growing together in our understanding of who you are. You're a great God, a God who has a story of redemption. And one day we will know that story in full when Jesus returns to make all things new. We wait for that with great anticipation. It's in his name we pray. Amen.